The other sort of things will take a little bit longer, you know? So those are processes where, again, if a patient, and we check this, let's say, in general, they're in our clinic for like 29 to 34 minutes if it's a new versus follow-up patient. And then these are all the places where they're waiting and where time is being taken up. Then it's more about trying to see how we can implement changes to make that more efficient so they're not waiting as long. For example, one of the issues with our patients was they were spending a huge amount of time filling out forms and paperwork, like kind of intake stuff in our clinic when they were arriving. And so then that was backing up our staff at the front, which was backing us up. And someone would be sitting there for 10 or 15 minutes filling out a form. And the problem with our system is it takes so long to upload a form that and they, we don't have enough time to do it that by the time they get in the room, that form is not even uploaded. So you're not even looking at what they filled out most of the time. So then we started to implement like a, a new system done through our EMR and Oceans where really we could get patients to fill out all their intake stuff before they even see us electronically. So then when they come in, they just check in right away. We already have all their information right in front of us electronically. It just saves a huge amount of time at the front and a huge amount of paperwork and a huge amount of waste too, because then people aren't just filling out these forms and using this paper. They just do it electronically and then yeah, makes our life easy and their life easy. So things like that, uh, once you implement a change, then it takes a bit of time because once you start doing that, then you kind of have to do this kind of reevaluation and then you see if that time drops. Hi, I'm Dr. Perry Graywell, and you're listening to the Skin and Joints Podcast. Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Dr. Graywall. We know you've been patiently waiting for Wednesday for this to come out. Take it away, guys. Looking specifically at applying this Lean Sigma 6 model to your dermatology workflow, so what key parameters or metrics did you look at? I guess there's a few things we looked at, and I mean, we were nice enough to kind of have help from some experts in that concept to guide us through it. So with the cycle itself, and I mean, you don't necessarily need an outside force. So for everybody listening, these are things that you can do on your own to some extent if you want to. There's a cycle that they talk about with Lean Six Sigma. So there's basically five parts to it. So number one, you want to define essentially what you want to measure or identify. So like, what's the point of your project or what's your priority? And then, you know, you want to measure something. So, you know, there has to be some value in terms of what you're trying to measure, like a metric, like whether it's like error rates or whether it's patient waiting time. And then you want to analyze that and look at which factors lead to better or poorer outcomes. And then essentially you want to improve upon that. So you want to try to make changes. And then the last step is control. So even when you make those changes, you want to make sure those changes kind of stick and that we don't fall into old patterns and old habits basically at the end of this project. So that's the overarching view of how the cycles work. In terms of specifics, like again, let's say we're talking about my medical dermatology practice. They talk about a lot of areas of waste, essentially, or a lot of things that can be improved in terms of processes to make any kind of clinic more efficient. So there's several of them, so I'll just outline them. Number one is motion. So that's a lot of the searching we do. So searching for patients or medications or charts or paperwork, telling my staff, hey, you got to pull this up on Netcare because I need to know what allergy or medication, what was the last pathology result. And that could also involve motion, like walking back and forth between the rooms or, you know, if you lack supplies in one room, having to go somewhere else. So how you can kind of do that. And then there's defects. So where you have missing or incomplete information or missed appointments 
or errors where you have the wrong medication, the wrong procedure, the wrong patient, the wrong date. And then there's overprocessing. So that's really where people are repeating tasks. So sometimes I'll get tasks for a patient who needs a new prescription. I'll write out the prescription, put it in the box to fax it out. And then maybe six hours later, another staff member will come up to me with a prescription for that same patient and say, hey, but, oh, you have to do this. And I'll say, well, we already did it. So just trying to figure out ways where we can kind of avoid that. And then transportation is the moving patients, medications, specimen samples, equipment in and out of the office. And then waiting is always a huge issue. I think it's probably the number one complaint patients have. And sometimes even us as physicians, like waiting for our staff or waiting for a room to get empty. So there's always those issues that kind of impact workflow. And then just other things in terms of inventory work and process, like missing forms. Someone wants Botox, you don't have it in stock. You send a specimen for analysis, a month goes by, you haven't heard anything back. There's a lot of these different things that kind of impact our practice, but those are just some of the kind of key ones that anyone can really focus in on. That's a really great overview. And it's from being in clinics and consults on the wards, it's amazing how much just one thing like motion that you mentioned, how much time that can save. So there's definitely a big difference between being on the wards and trying to find all the supplies versus being in clinic where everything's right there at your fingertips. So optimizing each step that you discussed could really save a lot of time. So that's awesome. From your experience with this project, what efficiencies have you discovered and how significant are these observations to the dermatology community sort of in general? So for our project, I guess we identified a lot of areas where we could improve. Um, And again, the whole crux of that is then we can improve patient care and just general happiness. So patients are happier coming into and out of our clinic. So I'll give you a few kind of concrete examples. So number one was with motion, just as you talked about. So realizing that patients should not be the ones to move from room to room, depending on if they need a treatment here or this there, whatever, that mostly it's the staff that should come to them because getting patients to move to different rooms can be quite a challenge. So sometimes it's easier to wheel in a piece of equipment and bring it to the patient versus trying to take the patient in a different room. Like let's say they're in a gown, they got to get dressed and they got to get another area, get undressed. That's a lot of wasted motion. So that was kind of one takeaway. The other takeaway, like we have nurses uh, that support us, which we're lucky enough to have in our clinic. So then assigning one nurse per room per patient. So again, in the past, it used to be, well, if one nurse was with the patient, perhaps they would like hand off to another one or one would room the patient. Another would have to clean the room after. But now if we keep the same consistent person with the same patient, that really kind of increases efficiency and reduces motion as well. We also changed our process for how we organize and sign off on biopsies as well. So we did have a system in place where we tracked it electronically and on paper as well. But again, the way we marked it off, and again, these are things you don't realize until you go through the process, it wasn't consistent from staff to staff. Sometimes you'd flip back a month or two and there would be a little bit of lack of clarity. Was something actually signed off? Was this biopsy dealt with? Was it not? So then we came up with a new coding system to make it a lot clearer to anybody looking at the book of what biopsies needed to be followed up on and which ones were kind of done. And then even how faxes were sent and received, we used to send a fax and then shred it immediately. But then we were finding that sometimes we weren't aware that the fax, if it went through or not, like we'd get a confirmation, but maybe they wouldn't get it on the pharmacy end. 
And then you'd have to reprint and redo everything and refax everything. So now when we fax things, we keep them to the side for about a week or week and a half, and then we shred them after. So if something needs to get refaxed or redone, then we already have it. And even like printers, for example, we were finding a lot of wastage of time and motion, like for the staff to print something, leave the room, go grab it, go bring it back to the patient. So again, once we kind of implemented just simple solution, get more printers, like that really increased efficiency as well. And then another examples are biologic sections with more drugs, more biologics. It's very hard to keep track of everything, but we came up with a new system to kind of organize all of our folders, blood work, lab work, et cetera. Then it didn't matter which staff member went to go get the forms. Everything was organized. So then any of our staff could help us with biologic enrollments. We didn't have to wait specifically for one staff member. That's super cool. I think there's so much we don't think about as healthcare providers. And I'm just reflecting on sort of in a pharmacy workflow too. There's so much, I like to say that 70% of what's done in the pharmacy could be automated. Uh, We don't need human intervention. The worst example is someone gives you your insurance card, your third party, whatever it is or a prescription and you're retyping a prescription that's already being typed out, right? So how ridiculous is that? (laughs) It's mundane and it's like I refuse to almost do that at this point, but uh, the redundancies and mapping out these efficiencies, it's super important. And again, we don't learn these things as healthcare providers. One follow-up question is, if you've created, let's say 20% more time through creating efficiencies, would you ramp up and see more patients or would you use that time to take a step back, do paperwork, do other tasks that don't necessarily directly result in more productivity. I'm always kind of curious about that because we look at AI and other applications where yeah. we talk about, oh, well, this will save you you know, 20% more time, but what do you do with that time? Because our brains can't be on all the time at the same sort of uh, level. You know, for sure. I guess it depends on everybody. Like everybody's takes probably going to be a little bit different what to do with the extra time. For me personally, like, I feel like the day is so busy with everything from patients to, you know, clinical trials to you get bombarded with a hundred emails. So for me, I guess the value is that extra time. Like on one hand, it allows my staff to breathe, take their breaks, not feel overwhelmed. And even for myself, it allows me to, I guess, not take time off, but then do the emails, do the trials, do the labs, do the other things. So then it saves me time on the back end. So basically then when I get home, there's a lot less stuff I have to do in terms of paperwork or labs or things like that. So I think for me, that's the nice thing is then I can keep my work day encapsulated and kind of keep it separate from my like, you know, day at home, personal day with my family. Looking at this project, like you're taking a step back for people listening in, for healthcare providers, dermatologists, other specialists, primary care providers, if they wanted to apply this methodology, and you hinted on this a little bit about the scalability, you did a very extensive analysis. Uh, a lot of resources, I'm sure, went into it. You may have had someone come in to evaluate and do all this stuff. But in terms of if I had a problem, you know, Anastasia had a problem in clinic that we wanted to solve at a smaller scale, what guidance or what advice would you give in terms of applying this methodology to solving a real problem? Yeah, so I think it would be to be directed in terms of what you want to approach. I think the nice thing for us is we had sort of external help with this. So we had people directly observing our patients or clinics or flow, you know, talking to staff. And so in that sense, there was a lot of different things we could look at in a very short amount of time. But I think really for the person who's just doing this on their own, it's number one, just defining what is your goal really? Like what 
is kind of a pain point in your clinic or what do you think is a pain point? Are your patients waiting an hour in the waiting room? Are you stuck doing dictations for an hour at the end of the day? Are you finding that there's a lot of missed or inaccurate billings? Are you finding that there's a lot of times where you're waiting or your staff are waiting and things aren't getting efficiently done? So I think that's goal number one is to figure out, you know, what's the most tangible pain point issue that you're kind of facing. And then I think really it's about establishing a bit of a time frame, like how long do you want to give yourself to investigate this? Is this just something you need a day with? Is it a week? Is it a month? And then the measurement. So again, it really depends on your goal, but there's different things to measure. Like very easily, you can get your staff to track when a patient checks in, when they're put in a room, how long it takes you to get into that room, how long you're in that room with that patient, how long it takes that patient to check out. And then you kind of have a bit of an idea because if you do this for even something simple like a new versus a follow-up patient, it might give you some insight into like how much time you allot to see these patients in. Should your new patient take 15 minutes? Should your follow-up take five or vice versa? So I think it's really important then, yeah, because you have to kind of quantify because when you do sort of the next step, which is implementing changes, then you have to have a measurable outcome. You have to have some way to say if that actually made a difference or not. And really then that's the process. You kind of look at what's happening, make some quantifiable measurements, um, decide on how you want to change that. And again, there's lots of different ways from changing how patients are roomed to how they sign in, to the forms they fill out, to the nurse that spends time with them, to how your time is allotted, and then just implementing that over a week or two or three or a month, and then just redoing everything and seeing if it actually made a difference. I think you just dropped a masterclass in evaluation and testing a hypothesis (laughs) in the real world. So that's a separate episode though, I think. Yes, yes. Scientific methodology. (laughs) How did you go about trying to find a solution for a specific problem? Did you try various ways? Was it sort of trial and error? And then you measured the efficiency or the time for each of those strategies? Um, Or did you have one that you went with right off the bat and just stuck to it? Yeah, I think the nice thing with the Lean Six Sigma concept is you can do it in both ways. The first thing I guess we were taught was kind of look for the quick wins, you know, the things where It's a pain point. You can make a very simple solution and you'll get a very good outcome. So as an example, one of the pain points was um, like we have sort of a bin to put like tasks that need to get done, like a fax here, sign a biologic form there, etc. But there was nothing urgent. There was no, oh, this patient has an infection and they need an antibiotic and this prescription needs to go out in the next hour or two. It shouldn't wait until the next day or two like some other form could. So just adding an extra bin to where we have our regular tasks to say, this is the urgent end of day task bin. So if something needs to get done, it put it in here, and then all this should be done and prioritized over the other tasks that are waiting. Another example of a quick win was getting an extra printer. Like again, it was incredible how much time was wasted of like printing and the nurse leaving a room and grabbing something and bringing it back to the patient, even with label makers. So adding a few extra printers and label makers, which is a huge cost, ultimately saved us a lot of time and a lot of back and forth with patients as well. Um, So those are quick, actionable items that you can do. The other sort of things will take a little bit longer, you know. So those are kind of processes where 
again, if a patient, and we checked this, let's say in general, they're in our clinic for like 29 to 34 minutes, if it's a new versus follow-up patient. And then these are all the places where they're waiting and where time is being taken up. Then it's more about trying to see how we can implement changes to make that more efficient so they're not waiting as long. For example, one of the issues with our patients was they were spending a huge amount of time filling out forms and paperwork, like kind of intake stuff in our clinic when they were arriving. And so then that was backing up our staff at the front, which was backing us up. And someone would be sitting there for 10 or 15 minutes filling out a form. And the problem with our system is it takes so long to upload a form that, and they, we don't have enough time to do it, that by the time they get in the room, that form is not even uploaded. So you're not even looking at what they filled out most of the time. So then we started to implement like a, a new system done through our EMR and Oceans, where really we could get patients to fill out all their intake stuff before they even see us electronically. So then when they come in, they just check in right away. We already have all their information right in front of us electronically. It just saves a huge amount of time at the front and a huge amount of paperwork. And a huge amount of waste too, because then people aren't just filling out these forms and using this paper. They just do it electronically and then yeah, makes our life easy and their life easy. So things like that, uh, once you implement a change, then it takes a bit of time because once you start doing that, then you kind of have to do this kind of reevaluation and then you see if that time drops. And so that's the next step is, you know, once you put these changes in, you see how much of an impact it makes on your practice. Well said. Yeah, that's very cool, especially the filling out the forms beforehand sounds amazing. Um, that's often a point of inefficiency, I find, that hopefully it can be incorporated into the broad community. Or having enough printers. Yes, that's key. Yeah, you always remote or they always break down. So there's always something going wrong with the printer somewhere out there. So what are some of the potential next steps or solutions that came out of your observations? So again, we kind of observed a lot of stuff. Um, some of them already alluded to. Some of them, I think, which I haven't kind of commented on yet, is just ways, again, to make things more efficient in our practice. I think the pathology management, biopsy management was a bit lacking. So using this combined electronic paper system now is really helping us out with that. Billing, again, was a bit difficult because different staff sort of at different points in time or taught different things by different people. So having some kind of cohesive courses or talks, even putting cheat sheets in the room so the staff could refer to them actually made a huge difference as well. And then I'm sure I get this and everybody else who's listening gets this. There's always the question after you leave the room. So, you know, you want to start someone on a new medication let's say like isotretinoin. And so you talk to them, give them all the information, all the handouts, all the blood work, and then you leave. And then, you know, you go see someone else and then you come back out and then the nurse is waiting for you again at that outside for 10 minutes, maybe. And then they grab you and say, oh yeah, that patient had one more question. And then you got to go back in and answer it. So then coming up with some cheat sheets of commonly asked questions, which takes a bit of time investment at the beginning, but then they're easy enough so that if something like that arises, you can just have your nurse or staff give it to the patient. Or sometimes we've even gone to the point, like we have a texting system where if they'll say, oh, Dr. Carroll's busy, he's in a different room. I can keep this question for you and we'll text you the answer or we'll call you later kind of thing. Because sometimes even texting is faster than calling. So there's lots of little things that we kind of 
realize that we could do to just improve everything. Because then that patient's gone, they're out of the room, the nurse can clean it, they can bring in a new patient versus they're just waiting 10 minutes for me to answer one very simple question. As per next steps, I think it's just building on this. Honestly, like there's a lot of things I didn't realize we could improve upon. It's like they say, you don't know what you don't know. And there's a lot of things I was unaware of in terms of our staff and flow and process. And I think that's the problem too. There's always a bit of a disconnect between what we see as physicians, was what the nurses see, is what the MOEs see at the front. So another big part of this project was doing some interviewing and talking to staff at different points and saying, you know, what do you perceive as an issue or what are your concerns or what do you see as inefficiencies? And sometimes what the nurse might say or MOA might say is quite different from what I might think. Or sometimes it gives a little context or clarity into why certain things are the way they are. So I think that was really helpful too, just getting everybody's opinion. And that's really what the whole concept was, is using just that team approach to making sure everybody delivers healthcare in kind of the most efficient way possible. That's super cool. I think one thing you mentioned, one of the challenges is with Dr. Google and Dr. Reddit and patients, like they're coming in with some preconceived notions. They're coming with a lot of questions. They see you, they have more questions or for those patients that you need to spend maybe a bit more time with or give them some more TLC, have you figured anything out? I know handouts. I like to argue in the sense of, even from my perspective, when you look at drug monographs, I never print them out if I'm in dispensary. I, I just feel like I just got tossed and, and really contextualizing it to the, the patient in front of you. But what are your thoughts about that for patients who have a lot of questions and are doing their own research and want airtime? How do you reconcile this? Where are we headed when it comes to this? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, patients are definitely more informed than ever, especially because information is so readily available. But the problem is patients can be also more misinformed than other ever because of the same reason. So for me personally, like, I do enjoy talking to patients and giving them a little bit of clarity and insight into their disease or condition, et cetera. But to your point, yes, like you can only do it so much, like days are busy and you can only spend so much time in the room. So I guess my best advice is basically triaging in the sense of if I have, let's say three, four, five patients clustered together, one's an injection for alopecia areata, one's a little nitrogen treatment for a ward, one's a quick follow-up for like tinic keratosis, and then one is a patient with bad atopic dermatitis who's read a lot of information, misinformation, has a lot of questions about different medications and allergy testing, et cetera. And my nurses, again, that was part of this whole process, they're trained on this now too, is we'll triage and say, well, even if the atopic dermatitis patient's appointment was, you know, before everybody else, we'll try to kind of clear out everybody else first. And then that way I've got all this extra time so I can spend that 10 or 15 minutes with that patient. And by then those other patients have already been treated and gone. And then a whole new set of patients are in the rooms waiting for me. But then it just keeps the system going. Because if I put that first 10, 15 minutes into that patient who requires a lot of TLC, then, you know, everybody else backs up. And the nurses are then just sitting around waiting for me. And really, I think that's the other key takeaway. Like for a lot of this stuff we did, me, the physician, we're the rate limiting step, right? Like we can hire a lot of staff, but there's only one of us. And so that's where really we have to make our time as efficient as possible. But to myself and, you know, how I've practiced, I found that triaging that way is probably what gives me the best success because then I have that time and the patient doesn't feel rushed. 
but then the other patients don't have to wait 30 minutes to see me either. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Garwell. This was a really, I think, a insightful, unique, and super appropriate for everyone listening in. And I mean, I think you could agree as well. I feel like every healthcare provider needs to know about Lean Sigma 6. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. <laughs> no, 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 I agree. And not just in healthcare, it can apply it to your life in many different respects too. So, I mean, it, it's cool. Like these are concepts where you never think about it. You've never heard of it. And then someone just brings it to your attention and then you start to see all these little things and sort of, it, it's cool how it gives you such an insight into your practice and just life in general. So yeah, I was, I was really happy to take part in this process. Thank you so much. Uh, this was really informative and I have uh, a lot of newfound motivation to take a look at my environment and see these things and then think about how to fix them. Absolutely. And I, th I think we'll hopefully have some kind of a follow up to see maybe it's been adopted by other clinics or if you do further work in this, it'd be very interesting for us to continue this conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Gurwell, for being on the Skin and Joints podcast. Thank you. You guys forgot to mention, just like every other episode, a reminder, we kind of have to say this. The opinions expressed on the Skin and Joints podcast are for licensed healthcare providers and educational purposes only and do not constitute nor replace professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Please consult with your healthcare provider if you have any concerns or questions about your health. Thank you to Novartis for supporting today's episode. Let's chat soon. Yeah.